Well, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. My name is Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC, and I would love to invite you to turn with me, if you have brought a Bible with you, to Je- uh, excuse me, to Jonah chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, um, you're welcome to just simply listen as I read, or you, there's a blue Bible on the ground near you. You can find Jonah 2 in one of those blue Bibles on page 774. If uh, One of the things I love about the book of Jonah is that whether you are the sort of person who is in church regularly or not, you're probably familiar with the story of Jonah. Seems like one of the rare places in the Bible that uh, most people have heard the story of Jonah. And so last week we started um, a new series looking at the book of Jonah and where we're going to pick up the story this morning. uh, Just to catch you up, this is what's happened. So God has called Jonah to go uh, east and preach to Nineveh, this cruel, evil nation. And Jonah promptly gets on a boat and heads west to the farthest reaches of the, or the earth that he can imagine at the time. And as he's on this boat, traveling away from the presence of God, a, a storm comes and overwhelms the boat, and the sailors eventually throw Jonah overboard. And Jonah tells them, if you throw me overboard, uh, the storm will relent and God will be gracious. And so against their protests, finally, they throw Jonah overboard. And uh, chapter 1 ends with these words. It says, Then the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. That's where we pick up the story. Now, of course, uh, the idea of a man being swallowed by a fish and sustained in the belly of a giant fish for three days has has kind of freaked people out over over the years. Um, Are we really supposed to take this seriously? And uh, I, I suppose what I would just ask of you is to take the word at, at face value. If, if there really is a God who spoke the universe into existence without lifting a finger, and if that God came in human flesh, and if he died on a cross and rose again three days later, then he can probably figure out some way to create a fish so big that it could swallow a man and sustain his life for three days. <laughs> So let's just take it at face value. And with all of that as kind of background, catching you up on this story, let me invite you to stand with me. And I'm going to read Jonah chapter 2. Jonah in the belly of the whale. Let's listen to God's word together. It says this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, 
and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we pray that through the words of Jonah, you would open up our hearts, that you would show us your grace. Would you change us in this time as we give our attention to your word? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, please. So we're in the second week looking at the book of Jonah, and I love this book because it's such a great story, but even more than that, I love the book of Jonah because it is so relevant to us. Jonah is a rare person uh, who is both running away from God while trying to, in his obedience, manipulate God in order to give him what he wants. Jonah is kind of the, the, the prodigal and the Pharisee at the same time. And so Jonah shows us how God responds uh, to those of us who run away from God and those of us who try to, through our obedience, manipulate God and tell, tell God, well, God, since I've obeyed you, you, you owe me. You, you should give me what I deserve. Uh, Jonah's both a rebel and a Pharisee. He's stubborn and he's half-hearted. And, and in that way, I think he's just like all of us. And so Jonah is this great picture of how God gives grace his people, how God gives grace to each of us. And so here in chapter 2, as Jonah prays in the belly of the fish, what we see is what grace is really like. Uh, Grace, Jonah discovers, is God's unearned favor. Grace is God's predisposition to treat us kindly even when we rebel against him. Grace is God's predisposition to uh, respond to our rebellion or our manipulation uh, with kindness, even when we've turned our back on him. This is, uh, the story of Jonah takes place, the year is um, three, uh, sorry, 793 BC, 793 BC. So for context, uh, Jonah is, Uh, running from God 200 years before the birth of the Buddha. He was uh, running from God 200 years before Confucius and 1,200 years before the prophet Muhammad, all three of whom would suggest, would eventually suggest, that it is possible to rescue yourself. And yet through the book of Jonah, we discover that it is impossible to rescue yourself. In the belly of the fish, Jonah discovers that that is not possible. Uh, Incidentally, it's not just other religions that suggest it's possible to rescue yourself. It's it's pretty much everywhere you turn. It's, It's enshrined in the American Constitution. You know, the American dream, what is the American dream? It says, if you work hard enough, you can get anything you want. It's all up to you. Other sages and poets have also suggested the same thing. Um, One of my favorites is uh, Brandon Flowers, the singer of the pop rock band The Killers, when he sings this great line, when you can't hold on, when you can't hold on, just hold on. (laughs) It's completely up to you. Good luck. Good luck. But grace is very different than what our world suggests. Um, 
these other voices around us all tell us the same thing. It's completely up to you. But there's good news for those of us who live in a world that says it's completely up to you and are beginning to feel the burden, the weight of living a life where we are told it's completely up to you. There is good news. God offers grace. God is full of grace. I wonder if we really have any idea what the word grace actually means, because the way that we use the word grace in our culture might sound something like this. You might go over to somebody's house for dinner, you might uh, have a good time, and on your way home, you might say to somebody, wow, that was really great, they were such gracious hosts. And when you use the word gracious in that way, what you're saying is really they worked really hard before we got there and then pretended like it wasn't a big deal, (laughs) which is the opposite of grace. Grace is receiving a smile when you expect a frown. Grace is God's unearned favor, discovering that God delights in us uh, despite our fickle hearts, despite our attempts to... um, convince him that he owes us something despite our refusal to obey God gives us favor so look with me at the grace that Jonah that God offers to Jonah and that God offers to us there's three things that I want you to see about the nature of God's grace and the first thing I want you to see in this passage is where grace finds us where does grace find us Uh, Where do we encounter God's grace? You know, one of the many ironies of the book of Jonah, this story about a prophet who refuses to obey God, is that the only time Jonah really says things that are true and positive about God is here in chapter 2, when he's been swallowed by a fish, uh, when he is trapped, when he is unable to do anything for himself. That's when Jonah begins to find God's grace. So here's the principle. Grace often finds us when we are at our lowest point. Grace often finds us when we are at our lowest point. In fact, for Jonah, it's literally true that this is the lowest point of his life. Um, The book of Jonah is written in in a very kind of structured way. And one of the things that you notice if you read the story of Jonah is that from the beginning of the story, there is this downward descent that Jonah makes. And so in chapter 1, God says to Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh and preach this message of grace to them. And it says instead that Jonah got up and he went down to Joppa. And then having gone down to Joppa, he gets on a boat and then he goes down into the inner part of the boat. And then after eventually convincing the sailors to throw him overboard, he goes down, down, down into the depths. And it is when Jonah has reached his lowest point, he's been swallowed by a great fish, it's here that God's grace finds Jonah. Listen to what he says in verse 2. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol. What is Sheol? It's, it's, it's like hell. It's death. He's saying, I'm in the belly, not of a fish. I'm in the belly of death. It was in the belly of death that God heard my voice. Verse 7, he says, When my life was fainting away, then I remembered the Lord. (laughs) I ran out of all other options. Oh yeah, there's a God. Friends, grace is always available to us. God is good all the time, and yet so often we completely ignore 
the goodness of God, the grace of God, his predisposition to come to our aid until we have lost every other option. That's so often when we hit bottom that God's grace finds us. And I think this is really important for us to understand because as Americans, or let's say those of us who live in America, whether you're a Christian or not, we tend to equate things going well with the sign that God is blessing us. And when things are not going well, when it feels like we're living in the belly of death, when we're just trying to survive, that's when we start to think, is there a God? Like, what? Is he against me? What, what is going on here? You know, imagine a, a social media post, taking a picture, posting on Instagram. Caption says, we're taking the kids to Hawaii and we got upgraded to first class. Hashtag blessed, right? That's what the blessed life looks like. But no. <laughs> and not according to the Bible. You know, in the most, sermon, most famous sermon ever preached, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says things like, Blessed are you when people persecute you. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. And some people, misunderstanding what Jesus is saying, think, okay, so I guess I need to go try harder to, I don't know, draw some persecution. <laughs> Figure out what meek means so I can be it. Uh, <laughs> um, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that when the favor of the world is removed, that's when you begin to experience the favor of God. This has been said before, sometimes we don't realize that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. Grace doesn't tend to find us, you know, when we've just moved into our dream house and all of our friends are telling us how much we really deserve it. Uh, it's when the dream house is being pulled out of your fist that you begin to experience grace. Uh, this week, somebody sent me a meme that cracked me up. It said, uh, I love how being an adult is basically just saying, but after this week, things will slow down for a bit, and you just say that to yourself until you die. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is the time of year, right, when uh, this, you know, we're getting out of the summer uh, kind of laid-back schedule and getting back into the routine. And, um, you know, we had three soccer games yesterday in our family. And it's like, okay, but eventually, in a week or two, it's going to calm down and we'll get into the routine and, and the schedule will slow down. Um, grace is what you begin to experience when you realize that things are not going to calm down next week. Grace is what you begin to experience when you realize that in six months you won't be any happier than you are now. This week I was going for a run and I passed a woman wearing a shirt that said, Believe in yourself. If you're here, welcome. <laughs> uh, maybe you have a shirt that says that on it. You know, and I wondered, first of all, why do we feel the need to put on a shirt that says believe in yourself. It isn't for the fact that we have a hard time believing in ourselves, but I think when we begin to experience grace is that morning when you open up the drawer and pull that shirt out and say, there's no way I'm going to put that on because I've been trying to believe in myself and I can't anymore. Grace is what we begin to experience 
when we stop listening to our hearts and we cry out to God and grace comes rushing in because God is always more than enough. Grace finds us when we're at our lowest. Listen, I would be very reluctant to encourage you to go and seek out suffering. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not encouraging you to um, like look for hardship. Don't do that. <laughs> In fact, please don't do that because we've all seen people who kind of have this martyr complex. And, um, you know, social media is great for this where you can just kind of be a jerk. And then when people start pushing back, we tell ourselves, oh, see, I'm being persecuted. <laughs> it's ugly. And you're just getting what you deserve some of the time. Don't go looking for persecution. I'm not encouraging you to go looking for suffering. I'm simply encouraging you not to run away from it when it finds you. Because anybody who's lived more than a few years in this life knows that it will find you. And what I want to encourage you to see is that there's a much bigger picture. God is doing something much bigger in the world than we tend to imagine because God is not a personal assistant who has come to you know, comfort us and increase our standard of living. God is a king who has come to woo, uh, to woo rebels. And at great expense to himself, he has come to bring peace with those who are warring against him. And he's come to having made peace with us to then enlist us in his global movement of expanding his kingdom rule on earth. God is willing to trade your comfort for your holiness any day of the week. We begin to experience, experience. You can know about the grace of God all day long, but we begin to experience it so often when we're at our lowest like Jonah. Secondly, I want you to see how grace transforms us. And listen, this is really important because this is so counterintuitive to the way that we tend to think about life. If you understand this, it will literally change your life. Um, how do you respond to your failure? How do you change? Um, you know, typically, what, like how, what advice would you give somebody who's hit the low point in their lives? Well, you gotta get yourself up, you gotta dust yourself off. Hopefully you learn something from this experience and you know you gotta get back after it. You know, that that's that's how you do it. There are really three ways that as a human race, really, there's really three ways the human race has tried to uh, change. How do you change? There are three ways we've answered that question. Um, and the three ways are this guilt or education or working harder. Um, Okay, I made a mistake. I'm going to try harder next time. Or through education, you know, just learn some new information. Learn a different technique. And next time you'll do it better. Or guilt. How could you do that to us? How could you let us? You've embarrassed us. Don't do that. Make each other feel guilty. Education, guilt. An effort. This is how our world says we change, but at best, they can only really provide external behavior modification. We exchange one set of behaviors for another. We exchange one weakness for another. We exchange one sin for another. The question I want to ask you is this. What would have to happen for you to truly be changed from the inside? Not just changing external behavior, but transformed from the inside 
in a way that begins to overflow into your external behavior. Here's the question. Have you ever received favor when you expected judgment? Have you ever received kindness when you expected judgment? Have you ever received mercy when you expected judgment? That's what grace looks like. When I was in eighth grade, like many eighth graders, my school took this trip to Washington, D.C. And uh, of course, we were so excited to go to Washington, D.C., but what was so cool was my dad let me borrow his watch to wear when uh, I went on this eighth grade trip to Washington, D.C., and he let me wear his, his Swiss Army watch, and it was cool, and I wore it all week, and I showed it to all my friends, and, you know, I'm, we didn't have selfies when I was in eighth grade, but I would have taken selfies at the White House with my dad's Swiss Army watch, and I was showing it to my friends. I was so happy to have my dad's watch, and we were there Monday through Friday, I think, and um, I wore it all week, and then we got home Friday night, and I don't know what happened, but my dad, dad's watch didn't make it back. And I was at the airport, and I, for the first time, realized I don't know what happened to his watch. And I remember thinking, I'm sure it's in my bag, and when I get home and unpack, it'll be, it'll be in my suitcase. And I got home, and it wasn't in the suitcase. And the next morning, I called the hotel in Washington, D.C., long-distance charge. <laughs> waited, waited, waited. They could not find my dad's watch. And I think I said, like I said, I, I think we got home on a Friday night, and for a few days I just worried about what's going to happen. And maybe Wednesday, finally got up the courage to go into my dad and say, Dad, I'm sorry I lost your watch. <laughs> and he said, I know. <laughs> and I said, how'd you know? I was in eighth grade. He said, you got home on Friday. It's Wednesday. <laughs> you haven't been wearing it. You haven't given it back to me. And you haven't said anything about it. And then he gave me a hug. And that was it. And I was so sure that he was going to be so angry. And I was going to be punished. Because I knew I deserved it. He, you know, he lent me his watch. I lost it. It was my fault. And he gave me grace. He showed me that he loved me. And my dad showing me that he loved me actually made me want to obey my dad in the future. Not out of fear of being punished, but because I knew my dad loved me. And that's how grace works. Only grace can change us from the inside. As Jonah reaches the low point in his life, he remembers God and he cries out to him as God's grace finds him in the belly of the fish and there Jonah prays and twice did you notice in his prayer he mentions the temple of God verse 4 he says I'm driven away from your sight but I shall again look upon your holy temple verse 7 he says when my life was fainting away I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple why does he keep talking about the temple. Well, G uh, Jonah, as a Old Testament believer in the living God, knew that the temple in Jerusalem was the building on earth, the place where God had promised to make his presence known. 
It was in the temple that God, it was at the temple where God's people would go and worship him. It was at the temple that God made his glory uh, manifest in the world. The temple was literally heaven on earth. But there was a problem, and Jonah knows this. The problem is this, how can a holy God meet with a sinful people? How can a God who is clean, maybe the it's better to ask it in the other direction. How can people who are dirty come into the presence of a God who is clean? How can a prophet who is half-hearted and fickle and rebellious come into the presence of his God whom he has disobeyed? How can Jonah come into the presence of God wanting grace for himself, but refusing to give it to others. Do you see the problem? How can a God who is good endure us? And so at the heart of the temple, in the innermost room, lies the Holy of Holies. And this was the the place on earth where God made his, his presence to dwell on earth. And that room in, you know, the, the most secure innermost part of the temple was only entered once a year by one man, by the high priest. And once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would put on his fancy robe and he would purify himself and they would tie a rope around his ankle and he would go into the Holy of Holies while they tie the rope around his ankle because if he's in the presence of God and he sins, he's going to fall down dead. And they would tie bells on him, so if the jingling stopped, they could pull his dead body out by the room. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? And he would go in once a year, and he would make a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. A sacrifice was made because there was a cost to be paid for our sin, for our failure, for our rebellion, just as there was a cost associated. When I lost my dad's watch, it wasn't like he got a new one for free. There's a cost associated with our sin and with our failure. And so the high priest once a year would go in and offer a goat uh, as a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. But the question that that raises for us is how could a goat, how could a goat pay the penalty for a prophet who refuses to obey his God? How could a goat ever pay the penalty for my willful disobedience of God's law? Well, the answer, of course, is that it can't. But the sacrificial system in the Old Testament is preparing God's people to expect that God is willing to accept a substitute as payment for our sin. And so we now know on the other side of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus what Jonah couldn't have known fully. That the day would one day come, 793 years later, that the missionary God wouldn't just send reluctant missionaries to tell the world about his grace, but he would take on flesh and he would come and walk amongst us. God would in fact come in flesh to reenact a rescue mission. God would come so that the presence and the glory of God would no longer be locked away in this holy of holies room that really nobody gets to go into and really 
not very often, and make his presence available to us and in fact in us and through us to the entire world. But in order for that to happen, God would have to pay the cost that we owed him. God would have to send a worthy substitute. And so in his life, Jesus uh, fully carries out the mission that Jonah refuses to carry out. In his life, Jesus fully obeys God's law, carrying out the mission that Jonah refused, welcoming uh, the undeserving into the kingdom of God. Jesus in his life fully obeys the law of God that we shirk from ourselves. And then on the cross, Jesus endures the mockery of his enemies. Endures the mockery of his enemies until he, in fact, goes down, 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 suffering, bleeding, dying, until the author of life is buried himself in a tomb. And in doing so, At the lowest point anyone could imagine, God is accepting Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf. Jesus is paying the debt that you owe God. And if you know that, if you, what was so powerful about my dad's forgiveness was that I knew I had wronged him. If you know that you have wronged your father and you come to him and say, Father, I have let you down. I have failed to do what you've asked me. I'm sorry. And you receive, instead of judgment, instead of a frown, you receive the smile of God because Jesus has paid the debt that you owed instead. Well, that changes everything. It doesn't just change your external behavior, but it changes your heart and makes you actually want to obey God because you love him, not because you're afraid of him. See, friends, if our uh, Christianity is not uh, just like, ugh, that's gross, how could you do that? Well, Christianity is not, here, let me give you a book, and once you read this, your behavior is going to change because now you're going to know what you should do. <laughs> or uh, Christianity is not, um, hey, you know, nobody's going to do this for you, so you better just get it together. Uh, you've got to live your life yourself, little soldier. <laughs> Christianity is coming to our Father and saying, Father, I've let you down, I've let you down, and hearing him reply, I know, but Jesus has paid your debt. And if you know that, it will transform you. Have you ever received grace when you expected judgment? Have you ever ex- received a smile when you expected a frown? Friends, it's the only way that you can be confident and still be humble is if you have been not changed externally but transformed from within by the grace of God. Finally, where grace takes us. Okay, where grace finds us and then how grace transforms us. But thirdly, where grace takes us. You have to see this because uh, as Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of the fish finding God's grace, Um, He doesn't know it, but God is taking him on a journey. And that fish is swimming back to dry land. And so the last verse of chapter 2, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. And I got to imagine he gets out with bleached skin and hair, smelling really bad. And then chapter 3 says, God calls Jonah again to get up and go to Nineveh where he had told him to go in the first place. 
God is saying, Jonah, you've experienced grace, and now you still have this, this mission. You're still a part of my plan. So the principle is this. Those who have received God's grace and those who have been transformed by God's grace must become agents of God's grace. We cannot experience the grace of God and hoard it for ourselves. We cannot be the recipients of God's grace and refuse to offer it to others. Um, can I tell you a secret? If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, there is one thing that you have in common with everybody else on the planet, and that is that you are a broken person. That's what we all have in common. The thing that you have as a Christian that your friends and coworkers and neighbors who have yet to meet Jesus, the thing you have that they don't, is that you have hope. You have hope in your brokenness. And just like Jonah, this is why I challenged you last week, to tell your vulnerable story of how God's grace has met you in your weakness to someone. Because no you know, perfectly reasoned, airtight argument is as effective as, like Jonah, saying, look at what a mess I am. And God, by his grace, found me and transformed me. And so now I'm telling my vulnerable story to you. The thing that we have in common as Christians that we have in common with everybody else is that we know what it's like to live in a world that's not the way that it's supposed to be. And we don't have to pretend like everything is great. You know, I think sometimes we have this tendency as Christians to kind of pietistically overlook the darkness of our world. We don't have to do that because it's real. And yet we have hope in the midst of the darkness. We share our brokenness with others and we share how God's grace is transforming us and it becomes attractive to those who only have, you know, when you can't hold on, when you can't hold on, just hold on. Better get after it. We have hope in the midst of a dark world. But we have something else as well. Uh, We don't just have hope, we have purpose. We have a new purpose. When you become a Christian, your highest purpose in life is no longer what it is for our culture the pursuit of your own comfort and happiness it's just not when you become a Christian your highest goal is the glory of God and getting the glory of God into your children and into your neighbors and into your family and into your co-workers into your kids lives now you might say but I don't want to that's exactly what Jonah said. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but God's grace uh, is not really God's grace if we're just saying, I like God's grace for me, but not for them. We cannot be recipients of God's grace and refuse to offer it to others. But God calls those who've received his grace to become agents of that grace. Now, I know you're thinking, but I don't know how. I don't know how. I got another meme. It was a great week for memes this, this week. Um, I got another great meme from a pastor friend of mine. He sent it to me and said this. When God called you to serve him, he already factored in your stupidity. <laughs> That's the best news I've ever heard. This is how pastors encourage one another. I mean, listen. God brings Jonah back and sends him back to Nineveh. 
Jonah is the worst prophet imaginable. And God says, no, Jonah, I can still use you. And that's really the story of the Bible. You know, Abraham was a liar. Moses was a murderer. David was a sex addict. Peter was a racist. Paul was a murderer. Uh, I think he can probably still use you. You know, um, the heroes of the Bible, we would not let them work in our children's ministry. Seriously, they could not pass the background check, and yet God was pleased to use them. In a world that says change comes by trying harder or learning more or feeling guilty, you know, you're right, there's not much hope for us if we've got to just try harder or learn something new or guilt ourselves into being the people God wants us to be. But we believe in a God who offers grace. He smiles at you. He loves you. He is pleased with you. He is predisposed to come to your aid. God is always enough. So what? So what? What should we do? Um, I want to finish with simply this. I want to invite you to come back next week. Maybe you're here for the first time. Uh, I want to invite you to come back to church next week. Or if you're a regular at a Resurrection OC, I want to invite you or encourage you to sign up for a community group. Because here's the thing, you cannot do this alone. God, for some reason, known only to himself in his providence in the Old Testament, called prophets and sent them out on their own. But in the New Testament, praise God, he does not call us to follow him as individuals. Um, I said earlier that Jesus paid the price for our sin, and he did with his death. But the good news, friends, is this. Jesus is not dead. Three days after his crucifixion, on the first Easter morning, Jesus rose from the grave. He walked out of the tomb, and after appearing to many people over uh, several weeks, he ascended into heaven where he now sits enthroned at the right hand of God and he sends his Holy Spirit to bring God's presence into our lives and through us into the world. The Holy Spirit is now alive in you. In 1 Peter 2, close to where I opened the service this morning, 1 Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter writes this. He says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What Peter is saying is this. He's saying, You are living stones. That temple that Jonah looked to, where he knew sacrifice would be made on his behalf, is no longer in Jerusalem, but it is living stones scattered throughout the world because the presence of God is no longer confined to this building. But God has sent his presence through the Holy Spirit into each of our lives. But here's the thing. Peter does not say, you are living stones. You are the temple of God. You're the presence of God on your own. He says, y'all are living stones. It's plural. As we show up for each other. As we uh, sacrifice to be together. As we give up our own preferences and begin to be the church. That is when the Holy Spirit moves out into the world through us as a sign of God's grace. Consider this, in a culture that is as divided as ours is, no amount of messaging will win the day. But what if individual Christians stopped thinking about our own comfort and happiness as paramount? 
begin to show up for each other. Not just to read a book or hear a message about the grace of God, but that the grace of God transformed us from the inside so that we began to cling less tightly to our own preferences. We began to release the kind of stranglehold that we have over the way that we spend our time. And we begin to not just go to church, but be the church and show up for one another. Grace finds us when we're at our lowest. Grace transforms us because Jesus paid the debt for us. And then grace has a job for us to do as the Holy Spirit moves through us into the world. And that's good news, friends. Would you pray with me? Oh God, thank you for this incredible book, the book of Jonah. Um, God, we uh, love reading about Jonah uh, because he's such a comical character. I pray that you would give us the sense of humor to laugh not just at him, but about ourselves. And that as we do so, God, we would experience your healing, your grace. Help us to not skip over our sin because it's uncomfortable. But by confessing our sin to you, we experience uh, the grace that comes with knowing that our sin has been paid for by Jesus. Transform us and send us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.